Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm super excited to introduce you to another wonderful guest. Farnoosh Brock is a passionate keynote speaker, high energy trainer, published author, and the founder of The Serving Mindset. Her mission is to bring the serving mindset to professionals and leaders around the world, shifting from driving our self-interest agendas to serving powerfully in our ecosystems. She believes this shift is key to building our future workplaces and cultures and taking care of our highest asset, our people. Her work centers around elevating skills in the areas of mindset, leadership, and communication. Welcome to the show, Farnoosh. Thank you, my friend, Kristen. I am so excited to be speaking with you. I'm a big fan of your podcast and just ready to dive in in whatever direction you want to go. I'm really excited about this conversation and want to make sure before we even get into it to give a plug for your book, which I love, which is called The Serving Mindset. I read this in two days and there's Mm -hmm. highlights highlights all over it. It's such great wisdom. Thank you. Too kind. Mm -hmm. So Farnoosh. I always like to give our guests an opportunity to start off by getting to know you a little bit better mm-hmm. and hearing a little bit more about your story, both personally and professionally, and what got you to this work you're doing in the world. Sure, sure. And because we're on a leadership podcast, I'm going to use this uh, this phrase, which is, I'll give you the executive summary. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I was born and raised in Iran, and I come from a very academic family. So I was pushed very gently in the direction of engineering, and uh, um, I went into the high-tech world, right? So I spent a good 12 years of my career in a very, very high-tech world as an engineer, as a project manager, and um, I had a lot of successes. But somewhere along the way, maybe year five, six, seven, I realized that the more successful I became, the less fulfilled I was becoming on the inside, something that I didn't admit to the outside world, of course, but it was just so counterintuitive. Of course, I didn't do anything about it. (laughs) I just carried on. And by year 11, it was just becoming intolerable. I was very good at what I did, but I didn't love it. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't find it fulfilling or purposeful. And so my husband and I both worked at the same company. And he encouraged me to take a different road, you know, explore. And he would be behind me to support us. And I didn't know that would be the turning point of my life, the best decision I have made. Well, the second best, you know, marrying him was the first. I need to put that in there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that was, Kristen, 11 years ago. 
And I was this corporate gal. My identity was in the corporate world. My brothers are the entrepreneurs in the family. But I cannot imagine a different path where I started building a company. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I started in a completely different direction, even though, even though I transferred my engineering analytical thinking skills into this business in a different way, into my coaching programs, into my speaking, creating digital products for uh, career enhancements, uh, personal growth. And um, fast forward to today, I have really enjoyed all of those different work that I did. But today, my passion is threefold. And I work with universities, mainly STEM and engineering universities, filling a gap that I believe is incredibly necessary for technical students to thrive in the workplace. And that is their people skills, something they don't teach you in engineering school, but you needed if you're going to ha have more than a job. And we hope they're going to go out and have careers and solve problems for us. And they lack the essential people skills. So that's really fulfilling. I also do work for organizations around leadership and mindset and communication. And I'm really excited about the time we are in because as challenging as it is, I feel there is such opportunity for organizations to take a look at what they're doing well and celebrate that, blah, blah, but also be really honest with what they could do better at the leadership level and be open to a new way, a new workplace, a new culture that can meet the demands of what we are hoping to meet, you know, keeping wellness and health and all of those important things in mind. And um, I'm passionate about giving keynotes around this and, you know, just bringing this message to places where they are open to elevating their communication and leadership game. And we all are. I'm constantly improving. And it's um, it's just really exciting to do every bit of this work. So thank you for letting me share. And um, you uh. take it like beautiful beautiful I mean I think even if I think of myself back in my university days going into both even a sociology and psychology program I don't think there was a lot of emphasis even for me back in that undergraduate mm. around um, I on my own did different things to take courses and I, I have to say for me emotional intelligence was something I, since I was young without knowing that language I was constantly learning and developing those skills but okay. but like I, I just think there isn't enough emphasis on it and I think it's so important and especially in the technical fields. And even back in the day, I think it's starting to shift, but even the MBA programs, it was so focused on business outcomes and strategy and business cases and being able to look at PL and great. It's not an either, or we definitely need to have those skills as well, especially yes. if we're going to be moving into senior executive type roles where you're going to be responsible for PL. but that's not at, it's not an either, or we also oh. need to have the people skills or none of that really matters. No, no, no. The human element has become so central and I'm so happy about it because you can't make it too important. You cannot over-exaggerate the importance of the human element in any workplace. And the, the companies that really get that, they are going to stay relevant. They are going to attract top talent. They will be creative. They will, they will do right by their people. So the human element needs to be central. And then everything else, including the PNL, the profit, it becomes, I believe, 
easier and better because people are happier and therefore they are more loyal and committed to you and your goals as a company. And that reciprocity is, is automatic, is spontaneous, and it's beautiful when it happens. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think that's the, is, is, yeah. and, and the, the beauty is when you have this transformation in a workplace, this is actually also transforming our communities is transforming our families. It's transforming the world because we're whole people. So as the individuals transform and workplaces create these kinds of environments, and as the leaders get the training and development in order to be able to build these skills, it's not like they're just staying in this compartmentalized no. in a workplace. They're now going out and impacting all of those other conversations and connections that take place. Yes, yes. Both the the the, the poor environments and the great environments have those ripple effects, no doubt. And um, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because yes, everyone gets affected, but we do need to start, I believe, at the leadership level. It's not to point fingers or to blame. I feel like there can be a lot more ownership and direction and role modeling at that level. And I'm glad that we are talking about this if we start focusing on, you know, the leaders, because they can set the tone and then people can take over and we can see the results. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And well, and the best leaders are always creating other leaders, right? So it starts with that. And I also believe a lot of times you don't even have to have a title uh, to be a leader. It's how you're showing up and influencing others in the way that you are, who you are being in the workplace. And, and I think even as we start to talk about leadership, I'd love to connect in and not just even leadership, but just mm-hmm. when we start to talk about the serving mindset, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to hear that and say, well, what does that mean, Farnoosh, mm-hmm. when you say the serving mindset? What Help me understand that a little bit more. So, um, and, and it does get uh, confused or interchanged with the servant leader, and it's not necessarily the same, um, but I wrote the serving mindset because I hated selling. And here I was, I'm never going to have another job, another boss. And I'm like, okay, well, I do need to sell <laughs> to keep going here. And, um, and, you know, especially professional services, the high, like high professional services, not just like a book where, you know, you hope people buy, but those are the ones that require connection, conversation, relationships, trust. And, and I hated selling. So I feel like the selling uh, traditionally, the, the selling techniques traditionally tell us to be forceful and ambitious and push the sale and chase the sale. And all of that is so nauseating to me, Kristen. I hope I can use that word on your podcast. I have other words for it too. And I'm like, I can't do that and still be me. And I left my job so I could be over here and be all of me. And I cannot do that. This is central piece of my business where I create business opportunity, where I create clients. And so I wanted to find a different way to arrive at the, I don't even like to call it the sale, but sale is different than selling. Yeah. Because I I believe no, not even the most eager buyer in the world wants to be sold to. You know that feeling? Like you feel it when you're walking into a store and 
you're being sold to. I don't believe that is the way to create long-term relationships, which is what I really want to do uh, in this type of business, right? Coaching, speaking, uh, leading, you know, um, training. And so I had to find a different way. That's the premise of the book. And I started to educate myself and research and experiment. And, and I realized that when I was confident in what I was doing, when I was clear, in what I was offering. But when I was also exploring with my prospect, equally uh, exploring whether it's a good fit for us, you know, I'm not always going to take you on just because I happen to be receiving the compensation. I am putting in all the work and effort. It's a transaction. It is not, you know, because there's this assumption that, oh, you're just lucky to get the sale. No, no, no. There's a lot that goes into that relationship. It has to be a good fit. And I started to put my criteria down for my ideal client and really and truly exploring what is the best decision for my prospect here. And all of a sudden, I was creating the clients. I was also raising my prices at the same time because I'm like, you know, it has to be in ROI. Mean, the ROI has to be to the value that I deliver. And I was getting really good at the work that I was doing. And charging low prices is another way to create struggles for selling, believe it or not. And I know how counterintuitive that sounds, but if you're not charging enough, you will struggle. So you need to, first of all, know the value that you are offering. Be very clear what you do well and what you are not going to do. Be exploring this ideal fit for the two parties involved and not just on the surface, but truly being able to turn someone away and maybe referring them to others because they are not going to be a good fit for you and you are not going to be the best fit for them. And that is the real test. And that that was to me the serving mindset. Mm-hmm. And this this expansive way of thinking, not like, oh my God, coming from a place of scarcity, I have to get to this client because maybe there's no one else knocking on my door. Um, that's okay if they're not. And so you really have to think differently about the whole picture. And um, I started to imagine how many companies are out there that could ideally become my ideal, potentially become my ideal client, countless because I was also doing international work. How many, um, you know, how many ideal clients could I create? So that helped me think, okay, it has to be the ideal person that I'm seeking and I have to be right fit. So the serving mindset was this foundation that I started creating, this criteria. There has to be a good fit. It has to benefit both parties. I have to be able to articulate these benefits, not just say, oh my gosh, I think we're a good fit. No, no, no. Here is five reasons I believe you would be an ideal fit for me. Here is three ideal outcomes I can create for you that is aligned to what you said to me. Here's my style, my approach, my energy. Do you like it? Does it resonate? I'm not everyone's cup of tea. And that is fantastic. Because when I find the right energy, then we can do magic together. And so as you work on your own clarity, which is so key, And your confidence starts to elevate. You start to speak differently to your work. The desperation goes away, by the way, that is so unattractive. And people can sense that. The pushing the prospect to a direction. No, no, no. You slow down. You take your time. And all of that I put into a system and methodology. And I 
I live and, um, you know, walk by that every day. I, you know, this is how I have created my successes and I have had the opportunity to teach that. So, and I believe that is what we need also in the workplace. The leaders, they are not selling maybe a product to their employees, but they're selling ideas, initiatives, a direction. And if they can apply the serving mindset and they keep the highest interest of those employees at heart, for real, sincerely, people can feel that and they will listen and they will lean in and they will be more open to something they might not have been open to if they felt it was being shoved down to them, which it often is, under the pretense of we do this for your own good. So it's a shift. Yeah. Yeah. So let me pause here and see whether. Yeah, I mean, I love I, I, and that's what I was feeling as I was reading it too. how this can be applied in so many different ways that it doesn't have to just be an entrepreneur who's looking no. for people in their no. business, how mm-hmm. this can also be. I think I mean, we're always I remember there was a book, too, that was written once that was um, to sell is human. I'm trying to remember yes. who wrote that. And was it Daniel uh, Pink, Daniel Pink. Yes. To yes. sell is human. It was Daniel Pink. And it, it was true. Like all of these different times mm-hmm. where you are selling and mm-hmm. instead of using the word selling serving, of course, I deeply connect with that mm-hmm. uh, because you are coming from a place of, you know, what, how, from compassion, from empathy, from, and even as I was hearing you say that I hadn't thought about it until we were in this conversation right now, but mm-hmm. I feel like this is also around when you're recruiting and bringing talent into your organization, right? Like, are you coming from a place of serving and the fit where there might be times where you realize, Ooh, you, you want that person so badly, but when you think about what they're really going to do in this role and the team, and it's not, it's not the right person. And to be honest about that, or be honest around the culture, like we're very honest, this is the culture that we have right now. And when I hear about the kind of culture where you thrive, yes, it's not a fit. And I, I'm I'm going to be very transparent and honest with you about yes. that. And guess what, when you do that, and you're coming from a place of service, now that person might say, well, thanks, I really appreciate that. Yes. But actually, I know somebody else who might be oh right my God. for this job. Well, we're going to start having real conversations mm. instead of having one conversation here, but then another one in our heads, you know? Like you're always wondering, what are the recruiters really thinking? Because I got this message and it doesn't line up to how they were talking to me. They seemed interested and sending these confusing signals. And then you're wondering why people are tired of recruiters or, you know, you have to be genuine. And it's a little awkward and difficult because we don't do it enough. We do not practice having difficult, awkward, a little bit uncomfortable conversations. But like you said, if you bring the empathy and compassion, and describe that, look, the reason I don't think this is a good fit is because you just shared these. And for you to be fulfilled in your career and for you to bring your best work, I just don't see a really good fit here. Do I have that right? Help me understand better. Did I understand all of, you know, and like having a real conversation, but everyone is just driven by their own agendas. And I get that. And I talk about this in the book, you know, if we could set aside our agenda, but be committed to our goals. So if the outcome of this conversation, if the goal is to find the best candidate, but your agenda isn't to ask all these questions and then end on time. Like the agenda is very different, right? Because people feel the agenda. Then they hold back, they get defensive, the curtain goes up or their defenses go up and we are not showing up fully. And we're wasting a lot of time and energy, by the way, because eventually it's going to come forth that, oh, this person wasn't a good fit. And so 
if we can create that safe space and the leaders or the person who's more mature, professionally mature, needs mm -hmm. to take that initiative in that interaction. Mm -hmm. You need to create that safe space, be that container so people can be forthcoming and make them feel understood and heard. But you can still say no. That doesn't mean you're going to be soft which I think is the most misunderstood thing. If you are kind and empathetic and compassionate, you're soft. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. You can give some very difficult feedback and still be compassionate. You separate the feedback from attacking the person. Right. You separate the no from making them feel rejected. I mean, it takes skill. Yes. So get educated. Right. Get better at communicating. We need it. Right. Well, I think that's even when I talk about assertiveness too, right? Assertiveness, there is compassion with the directness. When you're mm -hmm. giving constructive feedback, there's kindness with it. I'm giving you this feedback in service of, I know this can contribute to your development, to your growth, to how you can contribute to our team, to our organization. Yeah. It's coming from a very different place than when it's coming from a, uh, essentially sometimes it's directed in such a way that that person hasn't yeah. done their own work, the leader who is giving the message and they're in a trigger place and they're actually not giving the feedback in a supportive, kind way. And now yeah. it just starts to erode the trust yes. between those yeah. two individuals and such a lost opportunity. And for I both. also don't, yeah, keep going. It's a lost opportunity for both, right? Yes. Because yes. the leader didn't get what they want in that they're not going to implement the feedback effectively. And then the individual isn't excited to be on the team, to be part of it. It's like everybody loses. Yes. Everybody loses. Yes. Yeah. And what I was going to say, because I think this is actually quite connected. I, I, mm -hmm. I, was, I was so resonating with when you were talking about how um, we want to have objectives. So you were talking about it in the book from the perspective of you, you're a business owner and you're having a conversation okay. with someone and mm -hmm. looking for the objections. And I, I love the way that you positioned this because it felt like a, a such a perspective shift that if someone oh. hasn't given you any objections, then you know there are objections that they just are not being communicated. And then to name it and say, in a very kind way, right? I love the way you worded it even, you know, so, you know, do you have any questions or concerns? And then they say no. And then you said another coming back again, you know, I'm curious when I hear you say that, because my experience has been, you know, there's a lot we're talking about here and it's a big commitment you're making. Um, people always have some additional questions. So, you know, can we talk about this again? And then, you know, asking several, and then even when they give the objection, then say, what else, what else, what else, how connected is that to also what you're doing in leadership, right? There's a change strategy or there's a project or there's something you're working on. And if that leader, and I always talk about, and, and mm -hmm. I know you, you uh, referenced Michael as well. And the coaching habit yes. is like, you're asking question and another question, what else, what else, yes. what else? Yes. Empty. Empty. And yep. so now I look forward to like, not only do I look forward to objections, I also look forward to even making sure if they haven't been asked. Yes. Elicit them. them, elicit them, yes. because maybe we didn't create enough pauses, enough of a safe space, make it really okay to ask. There's no wrong questions. And, the, you know, there are some people who are more outspoken and forthcoming and they can't wait. There's others where they're shy and they could be very much the decision makers in the company, like, you know, but they are very much, you know, reserved. And for you to really make it comfortable for them, you might have to work a little harder and 
the theme here is to slow down. Mm -hmm. But our tendency, Kristen, is to what? When it comes to this part, everybody wants to wrap up and, okay, just let me know. And I hope whatever to hear from you. And then you're like ending the call. At the moment, you need to slow down and help them really pause and, and really reflect and really be just just stand in that moment and be with them. And whether they want to say yes or no, welcome it, welcome it. Because rushing, I have made this mistake so many times because I'm, you know, a little impatient. And you rush in the moment you need to slow down and you waste a lot of time because then you don't know how to follow up. It's awkward. Like you need to just slow down. Just if, if you did nothing else after this call, slow down at the end of your prospecting conversations and elicit, invite receive be open mm -hmm. just see what happens if nothing mm -hmm. happens after a few times don't just do it once then try to tweak something else but I don't think rushing has served me ever in life in yoga in anything in driving just oh. in no. the crucial moments right because magic can happen there people decide you know so slowing down I actually have a line where I say, slow down to speed up. Yes. Essentially, yes. right? And essentially, it's, it's that essentialism. It's when you do that, when mm -hmm. you slow down, you can also, there's so much more data to see as you slow down too, right? You can pay attention to what's going on with that person, what's happening with me, where, what's my intuition telling me, mm -hmm. um, what am I not hearing? There's so much to be. And we live in this current culture that can be so, especially North American. I think other parts of the world can actually teach us a bit more about slowing down. Possibly, yes. There is this optimizing mm -hmm. and productivity and we need to and it actually has the opposite effect mm -hmm. because when you actually slow down and you are listening like really actively listening and hearing and make that person feel heard seen understood cared for recognized for sure what it does to that relationship and then also what it does in terms of honesty and trust mm -hmm. and, vulnerability and confidence and confidence it it makes you look, and hopefully you feel that way too, extremely confident when you can slow down in that moment when you are tempted to rush. You can apply this to your speaking. The speaker who pauses, she or he, they have everyone's attention because you're like, oh my God, silence. And if they can just stand in that moment, that's uncomfortable. Just use that and let everyone breathe. I mean, that's so hard to do and so powerful. So yes, silence is magic. Yeah. Um, when we start to talk about those three pillars of mm -hmm. the mindset, leadership, and communication, mm -hmm. uh, tell me more about that in, in terms of the workplace and people really optimizing that. What would you like to see more of in workplaces? What would I see more, like to see more of in the workplaces? Gosh, um, I mean, so much. Do I just get one, just one page, one wish? You're allowed more than one, multiple, of course, of course, Farnoosh. Gosh, I mean, I feel like just the human element. So let's bring the human element and let's just take a look at what we are doing with the humans. And I feel like if we just bring the slowing down element in here and have the leaders slow down and just take stock of how they are doing and how they are 
thinking. So that's the mindset piece. How am I thinking about my people? Do I trust them? No, no, no. I have to have them in the office so I can see what they're doing. And and so that's micromanagement. And by the way, the, the intention with micromanagement is good because you want to get the work done and everybody be productive and everybody be successful. But that's not what people feel. They feel not trusted and everybody loses again. So if you have the micromanagement tendency, it's a blind spot, but it's still a problem. Or you're thinking about how people want to take advantage of the workplace, or they are lazy, or they want to work from home because they want to play with their dogs. Like, And these are t- thoughts that we don't want to admit. But if you are thinking that about your people, then you need to really ask yourself why. Because if you hired these beautiful people and they're still with you, then can we trust them to do their work, to bring forth their concerns, to feel safe? to bring forth their concerns. If you can just create a safe container for them to tell you their concerns without you ever promising to solve their problems. So I'm just asking for them to have the space to bring their concerns. That can solve so many problems. That can bring the problems to the surface and we just talk about it. You know, this person doesn't participate as much. This meeting is too late. This um, activity doesn't align to whatever. I mean, let them just tell you their concerns. It is better to know. I, I use this line in all my keynotes. It is better to know. And then you can decide what, if anything, to do with that information. Mm-hmm. Let them tell you in a safe space their real concerns. Because that's when they can unload and they feel heard and understood. First of all, sometimes that concern goes away, by the way. I have seen this. They talk about it and you haven't offered a solution. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to this person. Thanks for listening, John. Thanks for listening, Janet. You've done nothing, but you've also done everything. Yes. So that creating that safe space, which is all mindset. How do I think about my people? And so the deep trust alone without changing systems and strategies and hybrid environment, like just that, how people feel at the end of the day about you is a large part of your success, I believe. And a key indicator as to whether your company, in my humble opinion, will remain relevant Mm. in the future Mm. or will just disappear. Mm -hmm. Because these are important things. And the great resignation has shifted the power um, uh, you know, the, the two sides of the, the the system, if you will, the employees and employers for better, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so the, the smart employers will listen and watch and adapt and move in that direction, lean into their people. So I don't feel like they have to solve problems. I feel like they just need to be open to listen and to create that space, both for good feedback, things that are working, and the concerns and frustration. That is my number one wish. Can we have that, please? Yeah. Tomorrow. I know. I mean, what, and it's so interesting because there can be, and it comes from a lot of times a very good place where people want to rush to solution, rush to fixing, but sometimes yes. all they want to know is that leader cares and wants to hear what they have to say. Yes. It can be yes. huge. And I also Mm want to say that there are times where Mm -hmm. 
it's important if you keep on hearing the same feedback over and over again, something needs to be done. So I, I what, what's coming up for me when I start to think about some of these systemic. So we, we've heard a lot about burnout over the pandemic, and we've got burnout related things that are, you know, multifaceted with the pandemic when we had so many things going on, people doing remote learning with their kids, having adults who have things, we had sickness, illness, stress, all of this kind of stuff that's happening. And, but I also have seen that it's not related to the pandemic are organizations where people are drowning. The feedback is given that a lot of people are drowning Mm -hmm. yet. They're not doing so they're over reason. The the people are under-resourced Yeah, and something isn't being done to change. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's being, um, it, okay. We hear you, but nothing is being done about it. And that's not cool either. We no. have to, when we have the humans consistently giving feedback. Yes. We have to also recognize they are humans, not robots Yes. <laughs> when yes. they're at their capacity. Now it's time. Something needs to be done, whether that's hiring another person, whether that's giving some he- headcount from another yes. department, whatever that may look like. Yeah. And can we even say, can we dare say that maybe the business goals need to be revisited? You know, Simon Sinek, um, we both love him, right? Simon, Brené Brown, Adam Grant, all of those guys. But Simon talks about how, and he's right, a lot of these business goals are random. People get into a room and say, we should open 100 more stores next year. And then you get to it and you realize, well, that was a stupid goal, but nobody wants to admit that. So when you talk about the burnout and all the lack of resources and budget, and on top of that, more people are quitting. So even more, uh, you know, need for resources and budget. What if we just revisit the original goal that's making us run at this speed and see whether we can slow down without dying and killing the company? And of course you can. I mean, I'm exaggerating for effect. Of course you can slow down. But that means that you have to swallow your ego as a leader and say, oh, our goals were aggressive and things are different now and we are adjusting and here are the new goals. That's it. Like, I mean, what is wrong with doing that? You know, we do that in our businesses all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so I think, you know, it's not always, okay, this project is like the deadline is not set in stone. So instead of like, killing yourself to hire people or make the people work harder, then maybe just move the deadline. Of course, you have to see to it. If you have made commitments, you have to make sure you take care of everyone involved, all of that. But revisiting the business goals, which is such a radical idea, Mm -hmm. is simply logical, given that things are just different now. Circumstances, the climate, the economy, um, the world. So... And, and not feeling so bad about it. I think that could even, I mean, it could really, you know, uh, change the way people respond to the new commitment and be recommitted and energized. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it would say a lot um, mm-hmm. to that organization as well to have that person come back and say, we recognize that we had some aggressive goals and right. that you are all, the, the team is struggling because of them and we will revisit and adjust accordingly because we value you. We value yeah. you. We care about you. I mean, how powerful is that? Yeah. Right? And you know, I also think, can I just add this? I also think it's not just the human element here. It is business savvy because what you're doing is you're making your business more sustainable and scalable. Exactly. You're not just being nice to your people. 
No, you're actually being smart and savvy as a business owner because I think like a business owner. I'm all, you know, profit, mm. yes, mm. please. Mm -hmm. Growth, yes, please. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also a business smart decision. But yes, people, the humans are at the center of it. But there's other benefits too. I think everybody Huge. wins. Huge. Like, exactly. We're not saying, we. I understand you're running businesses. not like, well, who cares about profit anymore? Right. No, We're not saying that. <laughs> that's not the message. And Farnoosh and I, we, we like to grow our businesses in service of and being able to do whatever Absolutely. we decide to do and, and give back and whatever that may be with our yes. Um, with our finances. So that's not at all what we're, we're saying here, but it's, I, I think the yes. word, and I talk about this all the time in terms of mm -hmm. the work that I do with organizations, which is around sustainability. Mm -hmm. And it's not sustainable because guess what's going to happen? Those people who you are working to the bone, they are going to go off on short-term disability or long-term disability or have mental well-being challenges or they're even there and they're not even able to work at their capacity because so even in terms of if we want to talk productivity and, and event and actually achieving those business goals and quality of work quality exactly. quality of work genius creativity like yes. who can be creative when they are exhausted who yes. Yeah, it's like it makes no sense. So yeah. there's so many layers to this. It's the smartest thing to create the healthy environments. And um, and I'm glad we called out the business smart element in case that wasn't obvious. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I knew this conversation was going to go by very quickly. Um, but I want to give you an opportunity to do a couple of things. I always okay. like to give you an opportunity to leave your final thought. But I also think it's wonderful for you um, as a leader. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I like vulnerability here, too, because we're always growing and developing as a leader. So when you start to think about your growth opportunities or um, growth uh, gaps and things like that, what shows up for you? Where are you in this moment? What are you mm. working on in terms of your development goals? I am working on being truly, truly confident and grounded. And um, what's the word? Um, not being rattled in front of any audience, any um, uh, any group for whom I have the privilege to bring this message. And, um, and I feel that the more we do the work and become clear and have our reasons for the work that we do, Kristen, the more that becomes part of who we are as we show up. But I feel it's um, for, for my personal fulfillment, it's important that I'm very confident because this used to be such a struggle for such a long time. And so using my voice, in a powerful, resonant, but also compassionate way to, to speak and to be really, um, uh, you know, to hit the right tone and frequency in such a way that I can articulate the message. I can, um, I can help people. And you do that by really, really, really being good at your craft, by really standing in your power and saying the things that may not be popular mm -hmm. and um, and really being true to your own authentic self and also, um, you know, commanding the, the, the value that you need to get compensated for. So just raising the bar on that because I have some scary, ambitious goals. <laughs> 
I mean, I want to reflect back to you that something I've always admired in you is that striving for excellence from a place of never being done growing and wanting yeah. to continue to master and, and having that growth mindset. I think some people are like, yeah, I'm done now. You're like, no, no, I still no, no, no. another level and another level and another level, but it's always in service of like, I always feel for you. It's from a place of Thank contribution, you. not from a when I do this, then I'll be enough. When I get here, then I'll be I enough, used right? to be like that. Yeah. I used to be like that. And I came to a point where I was so success- successful in air quotes in my career. And I was like all about me, but I was so unhappy. And it took me so long to really figure out what was going on there. So if there is no purpose, uh, I'm not doing it. And sometimes you are doing something and then um, you 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 need to change. You need to quit. You need to move on. You need to evolve your business and find something else if, if you're just not feeling as passionate and purposeful. And that's okay. But I used to be that way. And I've learned that, yes, it has to be in service to something much bigger than me. I want to be a part of something bigger. And the more of that I do, Kristen, the more I am on fire to do more of it. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it feeds itself. And for me, the high comes from doing an excellent job, not because I feel it in my body, yes, mm-hmm. but also I receive that feedback yes. from the people, the objective feedback. And if it's overwhelmingly yes, this was good. This was useful. This helped me. This helped me. This helped me. I'm like, okay, let's go do it again. Mm -hmm. That needs to be there. Otherwise I should just go speak to an empty room, right? Like, you know, I mean, we, we need to change the world for the better with our work Mm -hmm. or else we might as well go back and get a job and you can still change the world with your job. Yeah. Let me just be very clear. I cannot, I'm not getting a job, but people can. Yes. Of course. It, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I love what I, that's one of the things I always feel so grateful and privileged mm-hmm. when you're speaking because there is this giving and receiving that gets yes, that happens throughout that. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful. It's a beautiful energy. So Farnoosh, as we close off the show today, I want to give you an opportunity to share whatever is showing up for you in terms of final thoughts. Okay. So I want to talk about something I see so much of, which is imposter syndrome. And I was thinking about this, Kristen. I was thinking about it, journaling about it. And I was like, you know what? I haven't felt that in a long time. And then I was thinking, why do we feel that? And how at some point when you know you are the expert, you are, you know, you are knowledgeable, you are fully qualified to do this work, why do we allow ourselves, even the, the the phrase, like, why do we feel that? And and how, for me, it has shifted. And I think we need to own our expertise, mm-hmm. our right to be here, to stand here, to speak to this topic without apology, assuming you, you know what you're talking about, right? And really step into our powers more. Mm. And whatever you need to do, if you feel the imposter syndrome, I feel like sometimes we're just talking a lot about it. And it's just a matter of a little more preparation and more confidence and more repetition, more mindful repetitions, as my yoga teacher says, and then you're good. But we need to solve this, move on and really step into our power because there's so much work for us to do. So much work. And we need powerful women to step into their power, to do the work again and again and again, and be role models for others to follow. So let's go. 
Let's Bravo. go. You know, you know, I'm on board with that mission. <laughs> yeah. So on board with that. Thank you. Farnoosh, where can people learn more about you and the work you're doing? Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great podcast here. Great conversations. Um, I am very active on LinkedIn and Farnoosh Brock. You can look me up. Farnooshbrock.com is my website. And um, LinkedIn is the only platform where I'm very active. So I would love to connect with you. Um, and of course, you know, um, you can email me. I respond to all my emails unless it's a scheduling, which is send, send it to my husband, <laughs> my business partner. No, just kidding. I do respond to my emails. And, um, you know, I would love to connect with you if you heard something here that moved you that that you disagreed with you know let's talk about it let's connect let's have conversations mm, love <laughs> it thank you so much for being here today my pleasure thanks for having me Kristen and to everyone wherever you are in the world good morning good afternoon good evening we're sending tons of love bye-bye please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.